Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. And Pierre Maguire joins us. Pierre, this is bittersweet because if the Bruins had won, I think you would have been in studio with us today. Big lunch, hanging out, talking hockey, oh, getting you set for the Eastern the Conference Final. That was a plan. I thought you guys hung up on me before we started talking even. I, I thought therapy. I thought you hung up to take Pittsburgh's call because they need a new GM, Pierre. <laughs> oh. uh, well, first of all, um, that's really a sad commentary in terms of where the business is right now. Ray Sherrill's done as good a job. Ask any general manager in the league. He's done as good a job as any general manager in the league. All you have to do is look at the Jordan Stahl trade and what he was able to get for Jordan Stahl. In Brandon Sutter, Derek Pouliot, who will be a star in the league. They eventually added Oli Mata as well. Scotty Harrington. Now, this is all different parts. On to pray. You look at that defense. Brian Dumoulin going forward, they probably have the most A-level defensive prospects in the NHL. Uh, their roster is really strong. Everybody knows that. They lost the seventh game. They haven't had a lot of success. He's losing his job because he was loyal. He was loyal to the head coach last year when ownership wanted to make a change. Ray Shiro went to bat for him, and he lost his job because of that. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, we, we expected some things to happen up there, right? A big shift, but not. I didn't think Shiro would be the guy. I thought Bowsman would be gone. I thought, uh, like you said, uh, I think we were surprised maybe by that move, hearing that this morning. But I don't know if we were more surprised about that, Pierre, or we were more surprised about how the Bruins came out and played period one what, what can you explain how something like that happens with this group in a game seven at home? No, I can't. Uh, it started with a bad turnover by Mark, Matt Barkowski. We showed it on television. That puck's got to be deep. I know it's a simplification, and people are probably saying, what did that have to do with it? It had a lot to do with it because you had all your forwards expecting the shoot-in, and so they don't get back in time. Montreal makes a real smart shoot, and Brandon Pruss wins a foot race and gets it to Danny Briere, who eventually gets it over to Dale Weiss because, again, Bartkowski's looking at the puck rather than taking his area in the man. So one little mistake in the neutral zone gets magnified by a huge goal. Now it's 18 of the last 20 game sevens. 18 of them have been won by the team that scores first. I told you guys the other day um, the first goal was going to matter, and the Bruins never were able to get it back on the rails. Now give Carey Price some credit, and also the Bruins didn't have a lot of puck luck. But um, that was a bad start, and it carried over to most of the rest of the game. You guys spent some time talking about the bad start, Pierre, and you were shocked it was like that. I'm curious, what was the Bruins bench like in that first period? Was there any buzz to try to get that team back, or were they as quiet on the bench as they were on the ice that first 20 minutes? The coaches were pretty vocal, but not in a negative way, in a positive way, and Sean Thornton was extremely vocal. Outside of that, it was a pretty quiet bench. Hey, no, we, we, when the whole thing was all said and done, we sat here and just said, listen, whether you thought the Bruins were the better team in the regular season, which obviously the, they were. In this series, they weren't. You know, the better team won. You know, I was impressed with the Canadians, the depth that they had. That fourth line was outstanding. The goaltending, uh, the physicality of the way they played. I, I thought that they deserved to win this series more than the Boston Bruins, the way they played in seven games. They were the faster team. There's no question about it. As well as the Bruins did taking the speed quotient out of the Detroit Red Wings game in a five-game series, for whatever reason, there were good portions of this series they could not do it to Montreal. 
Um, I don't think the Canes are a four-line team, but I do think they found a way to create uh, more depth by uh, having Dale Weiss play more minutes, by having uh, Brandon Pruss play some more minutes. I thought they did a good job spotting Danny Breeren, and he had two points in game number seven, a goal and an assist. So they found a way to do a lot of really creative things as a group. Um, I think the biggest thing, though, with Montreal, and I tried to share that with you guys before the series even started, they're probably the most underrated character team in the league. They have huge amounts of character, Mutt and Lou, and I think that was found out over seven games. Well, the character of the first line all year for the Bruins was pretty strong. You know, that was a line that they depended on, and then you get to the this series, and, and Milan Lucic, no shots in Game 5 or Game 7. David Krejci uh, was one of the guys who you talked about in that first period. Looked like he was playing in his first NHL game, some of the turnovers that he had. And Jerome McGinley, of the three, five goals in the postseason, Looking back on it now, Pierre, anything stand out in that first line about why they were never able to really get it going here in this series? No. Most of the time when you have a line that, that is that powerful, Mutt, usually the center iceman's a big part of the engine yeah. uh, that drives a car. And the center iceman, for whatever reason, wouldn't shoot the puck, uh, had faulty decisions distributing the puck. For whatever reason, he just didn't seem to be in sync. Unlike other times that I've seen him play, back to when he was – you know, a 16- and 17-year-old playing in the Czech Republic um, and playing in the world under 18s before he played in the World Junior. He was a tremendous talent, a really, really highly revered talent. And most of his NHL career has been like that. You look at the last two playoff seasons going into this one, I mean, it's hard to argue with his numbers and how great he's been, but for whatever reason, there was a disconnect this playoff season for him. Well, uh, you think he was playing hurt, Pierre, David Krejci? I don't know that. Um, potentially that's something that may come out in debriefs afterwards, but I never was told that. You know, Pierre, you talked to P.K. Subban after the game. You asked him about the exchange, uh, shaking of the hands with Luch. He didn't go there. He talked about uh, how he was probably upset, and he's probably the kind of guy I'd want on his team. Well, Dale Weiss did. What was your take when you heard or maybe saw what exactly Luch did by talking to, I think it was, and kill you next year, Dale Weiss and Yemlin. What was your take on that? Okay, let me. Uh, I'll tell you a couple things about how I usually do. Uh, usually, uh, I'm standing right near that line, and I pick a person off from the line that the producers want me to talk to. I didn't do that in Boston because they wanted me to do the interview in the hallway outside the Canes dressing room. So I didn't hear what was said. I asked PK Subban that question because I thought it probably was appropriate considering the way Lucic and Subban went after one another uh, and the way Milan challenged Yemelin most of the season and most of the playoff. So I thought it was an appropriate question. PK, out of respect to Milan, didn't answer, and I, I respect that. Afterwards, when you start to find out what was potentially, and I stress potentially because I wasn't there, I don't know what was said. But if, in fact, some of that reporting is true, and Milan did say that, he's better than that. He's better than that. The handshake is one of the great traditions in the NHL. And some guys participate in it, and they don't want to, but they do it out of respect to the tradition, and they don't say anything. Trust me, I can tell you. I'm down there. They don't say anything. They just shake hands and move on. Other guys really respect their tradition. They shake hands, and they vocalize, I hope you guys win the Cup, or great series, or, man, that was intense battle, and I really respect you. That's usually some of the stuff that's said down there. But if, if, in fact, what is being reported is true, Milan knows he's better than that. Hopefully that never happens again. If it is reported as true, Pierre, where would it rank in terms of things that you have heard happen in that line? Because like you said, and Andy Brickley told this yesterday, and I've heard Bob Beers talk about this, normally it, it's a pretty, 
pretty respectful thing. So where would that rank in terms of disrespect of what you've seen in that line? Uh, that would be right near the top. I mean, I, I've had, I've heard, I haven't had, I've had guys say some pretty bad stuff uh, in terms of, you know, I'll see you next year, but nothing like what is being reported. Um, so it would be, uh, you know, it'd be near the top. It's obviously not one of the better things, if in fact it's true. I just, again, I will stress this for Bruins fans, and, and if he's listening to Milan, who he knows what I think of him, I have a great deal of respect for him. He's better than that, if in fact what is being reported is true. So, Pierre, they lose here in the second round after the successful uh, regular season. It's still a very, very good team with a very good core. What kind of changes? Do you expect them big changes to be made with this team that sometimes happens when you lose, or... Just a couple of smaller tweaks, maybe back end. I think tweaks, and I think part of it is the back end's going to get better. You saw the bad turnover from Kevin Miller in game number six in Montreal, which really kind of got the Bruins behind the eight ball in that game six loss. You saw the bad turnover by Bartkowski and the bad play by Bartkowski in game seven on the first goal. Those are young players that are making young mistakes more out of nerves uh, than anything else, and that, that will get better. But I, I wouldn't expect major stuff. I will say this in defense of the Boston Bruins. It's being way underreported. Not having Chris Kelly was huge. Chris Kelly is not only a leader for that team, he brings a huge amount of speed to the group. He's a tremendous penalty killer. Some of the guys had to play out of position. I think it affected the fourth line, especially when they had to move Pae up um, to play with Soderberg and to play with Erickson. I think the Bruins just have to do some minor tweaking, but not a lot of heavy lifting. And I think their team is still in very good shape going forward. Well, you say heavy lifting. Uh, Zdeno Char has been asked to do a lot of heavy lifting for this team. He's getting yep. up in age. He's 37, 38 years old. Is what we saw here in the not just this year, but last couple of years, Pierre, against Chicago late, now against Montreal. I know there was a reported broken finger for him. But to me, that would not it, – it wouldn't explain the skating, you know, and his skating not being there. But is this – is this a guy they can continue to rely on at his advanced age? You say tinkering in the back. Do they need to go get that third big defenseman with Chara and Seidenberg so that if Chara can't take these minutes at age 38, they have a backup plan and not a bunch of young guys to step in? Uh, I think they're probably going to have to add one veteran defenseman. It's a great point, Mutt. I agree with you. But I also want to say this. Johnny Boychuk has played extremely well for that team, and he's not going anywhere anytime soon. And the other thing is Dougie Hamilton starting to prove that he can handle major minutes. I don't think Zdeno Chara can be a 24- to 28-minute defenseman anymore. Too many times. And if he's hurt, um, you know, again, people have to understand that. But according to people around the Bruins, he's not hurt. Maybe there was a broken finger, but that's not going to affect his skating. I have not seen him fall as much. I haven't seen him knock down this much ever. And I go back to watching him when I was a young player playing for the Prince George Cougars in the Western Hockey League before the New York Islanders and Mike Milbury drafted him there. So uh, I, I was befuddled by it. But I do think that they'll need to add one more veteran presence in the back end that can log some minutes because I don't think Chara can do that anymore. You know, I know you're going to be doing Easter Conference Finals, but just be careful. I mean, you, you and PK had that special moment. I think he's got his eye on you after that game with that big kiss. <laughs> How about that? That, that, was, uh, that was surprising. <laughs> it was surprising. I started laughing because what are you going to do? But, uh, again, you, you get to evaluate these players when they're young, uh, like I've had the opportunity to do. I watched them play before you went to play for the Belleville Bulls in the Ontario Hockey League, and then you travel around the world with them doing the world under 18 or doing the world junior. PK's first ever trip to Europe uh, was to the Czech Republic. I happened to be on the plane because I was broadcasting the event from uh, from Parta Beach in the Czech Republic. And I'll never forget how excited he was to represent Canada, number one, number two, to actually get on a plane and cross the Atlantic. 
Um, and so you, you get to know these guys over time, and I think you just develop a bond. Um, and you're not cheering for anybody in particular, win or lose, but you get to know the players. That's just part of the gig. Pierre, this is more off the ice, but you know, Jim Benning is considered a favorite for the Vancouver job. Is that a job you think he gets? And you know, Alexander Edler is someone that the Bruins apparently tried to get at the deadline. Would Jim Benning ending up in Vancouver – would that potentially help that acquisition that Benning knows maybe some of the younger players he might want from the Bruins in a deal for Edler? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I think Jim Benning and Donnie Sweeney are tremendous hockey men. I really do. Uh, Jimmy obviously has a tie into Vancouver because he played there. I saw him briefly the other day uh, after the Game 7 loss. He, along with Peter Shirelli, they were walking uh, off the elevator down the hallway to the Burns dressing room. Uh, Jimmy's a really good hockey man. I, I think if any team were to hire a general manager, especially one that's going to need some serious work uh, in terms of player personnel, Jim would be a good guy to hire in Vancouver. In terms of Edler, uh, Edler would be one of those more veteran presence kind of guys that would help. He's a big body. He can really shoot the puck. Played for the Kelowna Rockets, so he's a Swedish kid that actually came over and played in the Western Hockey League. Um, he'd be somebody that you would probably want to look at if you could get him. And, yes, Benning would be very familiar with a lot of the younger Bruins prospects. Uh, Eastern Conference Finals, Rangers or Montreal advancing to a Stanley Cup? I never pick, as you know, uh, Mutt, but I will say this. I think it's going to be a much different series than Montreal and Boston, and it'll be a little bit different than what Rangers and Pittsburgh uh, was. I think this will be more of a speed series, more of a thoroughbred, up-tempo attack-oriented type uh, offensive production with both goaltenders being very, very similar uh, and very special. So this has a chance to have a lot of scoring chances against. I don't know if it'll have as many scoring goals, but I do think uh, you're going to see some really high-level hockey. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate you being part of the show. We don't appreciate that you, you're the one who brought Tony Marinero into sports radio up there in Montreal, Pierre. But, <laughs> he was insufferable uh, yesterday, Pierre. Yeah, Couldn't he wait was, to get him out. He was rough after Montreal won. But uh, <laughs> at, during the year, a uh, tremendous uh, part of our show, and especially in the playoffs here, Pierre, we thank you for your generosity and time uh, during a very busy playoff run for you and have a great uh, Final Four here in the Stanley Cup Finals. Well, you guys are tremendous friends. I love and value my time that I get to spend with you both on the phone and also in the studio. Uh, Mutt, congratulations are in order. I understand you've got a primo gig with the little baseball team there in Boston. I can't wait to listen to you, and I look forward to visiting with you over the summer. And, Lou, you'll have to deal with me. Oh, I'll be a Fenway oh, a lot, Pierre, when you get over there. Next come time on the I broadcast see you, I'm going to just grab you and give you a big kiss in the cheek. That's good. I'll take that. <laughs> You and PK. Thanks, Pierre. We'll see you at Fenway. <laughs> Great visiting with you. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, right, that's Pierre. Pierre McGuire, who was a fixture on our hockey coverage uh, all year and ramped that up for us during the Stanley Cup Finals.